Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount Plus. I'm in a period of emotional upheaval. Is that all the oh, I don't care crap? A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm gonna steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Hey out there rock and rollers, welcome to the 35th edition of the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast, recorded just off Abbey Road here in northwest central London. This week, Action Jackson and I are going to review something new. Now, not a new band. Where in the world will we even find a new band or agree on one that we liked and wanted to hear? No, this is on a new documentary about a band we've covered before, and that's KISS. KISS is trying to wrap up their end-of-the-road tour to kind of commemorate their 50 years in the rock music business and all the amazing hits and live shows they've done over the years. Of course, they're a band that have had a lot of lineup changes and a little bit of controversy, which would make for a good documentary. So A&E, who has this robust and long-running biography series, did a two-part, two-night special in late June on KISS, four hours long, with the commercials, probably a good three hours long in total if you take all that out. And it had Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley, the longtime original founding and you know never left the band members. And then they had a lot of interviews from people over the years who were in the band or were around the band, part of the band. Now the glaring missing pieces were of course Ace Fraley and Peter Chris, the original lead guitarist and drummer who helped found the band, who helped create the sound, who made all those classic albums in the 70s and created the look with Gene and Paul and who came back in the band at the late part of the 90s and into the 2000s there. They did not participate. Now, they were offered a chance to participate, but as is the case with Peter and Ace, there's always some kind of angst or mistrust, distrust, whatever you want to call it, about how much they're really going to get paid, and of course, how much control they'd have over it. So there was a disclaimer that Peter and Ace did not participate, and they do not endorse the views of that thing, which is a little bit of a shame, and we'll talk about that here. But it was amazing to see all the different characters, all the different people who had played a role in KISS over the years, especially like Eddie Kramer and Bob Ezrin, their producers. And to learn a little bit more about the background of the very early days of KISS 
and some of the stuff that had gone on behind the scenes. Action and I are big KISS fans. We've watched KISS Exposed and KISS Extreme close-up videos they did in the 80s and early 90s over and over and over again to learn as much about KISS as we possibly could. And this is obviously not going to be something just for hardcore fans. When you're on A&E, you have to appeal to a wider audience and to more casual fans and maybe people who don't even really know that much about the band. So they don't go in-depth in the music necessarily. It's kind of more about the soap opera, the story of the band, how they got big, how they fell apart, how they put it back together again, and all their trials and tribulations over the years. And so we're going to talk about that here today. Before we get into history, we've got to talk a little bit about the new Iron Maiden single, Writing on the Wall, that was released just recently here ahead of their 17th studio album, Senjutsu, with an incredible, incredible animated video. So we'll talk about that a little bit before we get into Kiss. Now, as usual, we want to hear from you to know which songs, which albums, which bands you want us to talk about. So you have to tweet us at ugly underscore werewolf or at actionjack72, and you need to check out all past episodes at www.uglyamericanwerewolf.libsyn.com. And check us out on feedspot.com. We're in the top 25 rock music podcasts. So with that, members of the KISS Army, get ready to rock. We're doing the history A&E documentary here on The Wolf. Hey Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain here. You caught me just finishing up some editing on Getting Real with John and Beth. I want to share my first experience with Factor Meals for you. I think you'll find this interesting because I bet the same thing happens to you. I had just received my first shipment from Factor Meals the other day and I was excited to try one of the prepared restaurant quality meals for myself. Anyway, I was working away and noticed it was very late and it was my night to make dinner. I jumped up and headed to the kitchen, went to grab the ingredients for the dish I was going to make and realized I was missing a prime ingredient. Well, I could make a run to the store or I could make one of my new factor meals. <laughs> Actually, the choice was easy. I grabbed a cavatappi, an Italian-style pork ragu with garlic broccoli, heated the oven per instructions, and minutes later was enjoying a very delicious, nutritious, and dietitian approved meal. It really was everything Factor Meals said it would be. No prep, no mess meals. Factor Meals are 100% ready to heat and eat. Take it from me and head to factormeals.com slash pantheon50 and use the code pantheon50 to get 50% off. That's factormeals.com slash pantheon50 and use the code pantheon50 to get 50% off. Hey Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain again with something every podcast listener and music junkie needs to hear. As I'm sure you can guess, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I also listen to a lot of music, so having high quality headphones and earbuds are absolutely critical to my day. Oh, and I have numerous pairs. In fact, I have a junk drawer of used devices that have bitten the dust, so I've tried them all. Recently, I was sent a pair of earbuds by Raycon, and the first thing I noticed was the cost. Uh, looks like their products are about half the price of other premium brands. Okay, that's cool. And the reviews seem pretty stellar. Okay, checks that box. So I got my Raycon Everyday Earbuds, a nice packaging to open, and what I immediately noticed were the pack of ear tips for sizing. Uh, I'll tell you, I have small ear canals. Uh, I know, a flaw. So to see choices for the best fit, uh, especially while exercising, uh, oh yeah. 
And yes, they were immediately comfortable. Sound quality was great too. Plus I have three EQ options that I love because I like more bass in my music and less in the podcasts. Eight hours of playtime for the battery is great as well. Surround sound, noise canceling, and awareness mode all included. I think I'm in business and I just realized I've had them in all day. Like I said, super comfortable. Go to buyraycon.com slash Pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash Pantheon. So the big news in our world is that Iron Maiden released a single from their 17th studio album, Senjitsu, which comes out here in early September. First song, Writing on the Wall. And it's an animated video that just kicks ass. It's an amazing little piece of film. And it's not a super long song. It's like one of their five-minute runners, not like one of their 15-minute runners. I fell in love with it the first time I saw it. What was your initial reaction, Jackson? I mean, pretty much the same thing. I mean, you tell me new music from Iron Maiden, I say, okay. And then, yeah, to put it together, the song is cool. The animation is fantastic. And just to have them back in the land of the living with new music, I'm excited. And then there was the other part. People saying, well, what did you think about the album cover? I think it's a little weak. Shut your mouth. What? It's phenomenal. Samurai Eddie is the... I mean, like you said, 17 records, and you come up with something that's like, wow, that is... It's it's plain. It's just the the face and the armor with Mm -hmm. the swing and the sword. Mm -hmm. It's phenomenal. And the video has all these different references. When they show the sky, you know, at the beginning, you can tell that that's like the same sky from like the Flight of Icarus kind of thing. There's all these little... Things that pop up everywhere, and the, the four horsemen were like, you know, the four kind of prototypical Eddies, like the, yeah. the Blade Runner Eddie, and the Lobotomized Eddie, and the Killers Eddie, you know, it's like, oh. there's a couple of great videos out there on YouTube now where they show, and if you freeze it here, you can see, you know, that's the Eddie's box set, you know, sticking out of the sand, like, and that's, you know, whatever, it, uh, it it's cool, and, and see, to me, this is something they should have been doing for a long time, because... Uh, I know it's a lot cheaper probably to just film the guys on stage going through the motions of playing it or whatever, but they have created, much like Kiss, this character of Eddie who is kind of timeless and can go do things on different planets and, and all sorts of amazing, fantastical kind of things. So Iron Maiden lend themselves big time to doing some animated videos. Why it wasn't done before now, I'm not sure, but to great effect, I think it's amazing. Yeah, and and we were talking too about how that even that clip could have fit into one of our favorites, uh, Heavy Metal, the movie, just the way that it looked and kind of how it has a little mini story to it. They don't even really, there isn't anybody narrating it, but you can follow along with what's happening. It's it. It's a really cool little vignette. And yeah, now thinking about that, some of their older songs, if you were to go back and animate those, right. it would be really cool. Like I, like I think the one that I was thinking of was Can I Play With Madness? Ah. Because that's, that video was like, eh, there's kids in a school and what yeah. to have. And there is a little bit of, there is a little bit of animation where Eddie shows up in the, in the sky and it gets all, so to have that totally animated game changer. Wasn't that Graham Chapman who played the schoolmaster? 
It was, even though he doesn't say anything. Yes, it was. I don't know how he got there, but okay. That's crazy. But the other cool thing too about Maiden is that, like you said, Eddie is the cover of every single album right. in a different iteration of him. But the but the cool part is that the Iron Maiden logo is always the same. Like you know what it is. You could see it across the room. Like oh. That's, That's Iron Maiden. Yeah. Absolutely. But I mean, and just think about like even most recent stuff, like a, a matter of life and death where you have the, like the, the bone soldiers on the, on the tank. You could make a video out of that, yeah. you know, or the, you know, the, the story of Benjamin Brieg, you know, you've got uh, an album cover or a single cover for it. You could make it into that. The final frontier where he's like in outer space and all that. You could make an animated video out of all of those. Dance of Death was an animated cover, basically. D totally digital from what I can see. So, you know, it, it seems like maybe they've missed out uh, on something over the years by not doing this more. But I got a feeling, thanks to the overwhelming success and all the positive feedback, you're going to see some more of it. That would be cool. And and the, the bottom line is that it, it it is cool. I'm excited for new Maiden records. I don't know what they're going to do now because they still have a at least a leg or two of the Legacy of the Beast tour, and then they'll probably go into touring for this new record. The only thing that the only thing that gives me a little bit of hesitation is when they do new tours. It's a lot from from that record. So and recent records, yeah, they, they've kind of got this thing where it's every other tour, right? They'll, they'll tour for the new record and they'll do more of the last 20 years stuff when they've been a six piece. Sprinkle in a couple of the old ones. Then the next tour, they'll do like a greatest hits and they'll do stuff from the whole catalog. But they just realize, look, we've got a lot of people who loved us from the 70s, 80s, and early 90s. But we've got a lot of people who have come on in the 2000s, like in the last 20 years. You know, they came, they were 12 in 2000, you know. And so they, they know Brave New World and Dance of Death and Matter of Life and Death and all those. And they feel obligated. Hey, this is Action Jackson. The Wolf and I are coming at you. <laughs> on the Ugly American Werewolf in London podcast. Tell me kind of your, your first impressions without getting into real details of it. What are your first impressions and big takeaways from the KISS biography, Jackson? Well, I was thinking about that and just kind of set the stage a little bit. You and I watched the 1992 video, KISS Extreme Close-Up, about 700 times. Over and over. Yeah, so I kind of feel like we were pretty versed in the early days of KISS from, from that take on it. My first takeaway from this uh, new one from A&E is that they really went into a lot more of the early days of Paul and Gene, mm -hmm. which I thought were pretty cool. Gene coming over from Israel without his father, Paul being in an Irish Catholic neighborhood and always feeling like an outsider. So it was really kind of cool. The story of the two of them kind of finding each other and with both wanting to be, I guess, like everybody else at that time, part of the Beatles. As soon as that hit, of course. they they freaked out and wanted to do that. But it kind of the kind of the overview thing is this was going to be really hard. I mean, this is a band that has almost 50 years of history together, and you're going to compress that into basically, I mean, basically two and a half hours yeah, because three, we're all going to take all those commercials. Yeah. How are you going to make a, a show that is going to appeal to hardcore kids fans and then people who are like, well, you know what, I've heard of that band before. Let me let me take a look. So I think overall, could they have gone deeper into it? Sure. I mean, they could have been eight hours and we would have been happy. But I think overall, they did a pretty good job, especially the early years. Yeah, I'm with you there. 
And it's, yeah, it's maybe three hours once you take out all the commercials. And for hardcore fans like us, yeah, we watched Extreme Close-Up, I don't know how many times. And Kiss Exposed, too, which came out a little bit before that. It really was about showing their videos, and the interludes in between were kind of staged nonsense to show them chasing the girls or whatever. Yeah. But they did talk a little bit about their history on that. And so between those two, we definitely had background. And then, you know, when they got back together in the late 90s, there were lots of little biographies and documentaries on that that we tuned into as well. So we are, I would say, pretty hardcore KISS fans. Maybe the super hardcore fans wouldn't say that about us. Like the guys who write the Shout It Out Loud cast, which is a great show about KISS, and they have a two-parter, two-part podcast on this. Actually, their podcasts are longer than the shows themselves with commercials. <laughs> it's because they, they've got to go really in-depth, and they, they do a lot of reading of their emails and what other people are saying to them about it, but it's worth listening to. But yeah, it's I knew that this was going to become the defining documentary on KISS. Right, because kind of extreme close-up has been for so long, really. And now this is going to be the defining one. So I was hoping they would do a lot of background stuff. And the early stuff on Paul and Gene was good, absolutely. And it was there that I wish that Peter and Ace had participated. Because if you go through this thing, the first hour... They include clips of past interviews for Peter and, and Ace, but you don't really miss them not being in it. And I'm like, you know what? This is going pretty well without them, and you're still getting their voices heard. And obviously, you're still seeing their faces on the TV. Like, it can work without Ace and Peter being in it. But maybe that first part where they're showing how they grew up, how they got into music, when Gene's like, I didn't really speak English, but when I saw, you know, Ed Sullivan, I could hear the music and I could relate to that. That's what made me, you know, want to get into music. Where's the Peter story? You know, where's the Ace story? That's left out because they chose not to participate. Yeah, and and there was a disclaimer at the beginning of the show and there was a disclaimer at the part of the second show. And and I don't know. It made me feel like, dude, kind of digging at them. I don't know. I mean, I think that the part of the problem is that they didn't have any kind of, uh, they weren't going to have any control over how they edited it. So I don't know. I, I don't know what the relationship is now. It doesn't look like it's great, but you're right. I, I kind of wish I would have known. They they talked a little bit about Peter Chris being in the band, and mm-hmm. you know they, they called him and said, "Would you do anything to make it?" Uh, yeah, I do anything. Would you wear a dress? Sure, no problem. But just that hunger. But and the, the ace part was like, yeah, he kind of showed up, and he, you know, <laughs> Gene does his, hey, you know, what's going on, man? That's me. Yeah, and Paul called him a kid. Up. This kid comes in with one orange yeah. sneaker and one red sneaker. Yeah. I'm like, aren't you about the same age? You know, he's a kid. <laughs> you know? I but I think, but I think the problem is that, or not the problem, but maybe Gene is such a, so much of a bigger person. He just always saw Ace as a kid because he's this little skinny. Dude, Dude yeah. but yeah, I would have liked to have known a little bit more about him, and, and maybe just a, a overview of Ace's life, zero to there, just to get a little more information on him. And I've read No Regrets. I've read his biography, his autobiography. You can get all that stuff. There's a lot of stuff out there, but it, it was it's just a shame to me that those two weren't involved. And look, they were offered the opportunity to participate. Mm-hmm. and they turned it down based on the amount of money they were going to get from it. And like you say, whatever control, they weren't going to have editing control. They're not a right. full share member of the band. That's all going to come down to Paul and Gene and the producers of the of the documentary. So they're worried that they're not going to get their fair say in it, and they're not going to be paid the way they want to, which, you know, you can say that's petty or whatever, 
but uh, you know, it is what it is. People want to get paid, uh, and and they have some bitter feelings about the way they've been compensated in the past. And we right. can get into some of that as as we talk about the show. But it's just like I know that this is now the gold standard. There's not going to be another one in two years that's four hours long on the history right. of Kiss, right? This is it. So their participation would make sense. Although I think it came off very well without them doing anything new. And they had lots of interview clips from over the years. So their voices are heard. They're in there. But it's still, it's kind of a shame to me. Yeah, I think you're right. It would have been better if they had been part of it. I don't know what the relationship is now. I mean, Paul had hinted over the past couple of months that, hey, you know, anything could happen on this tour. These guys could be back. I, there's no way they're coming back now. I, I don't think. I think that the relationship now is so far away from anything that it, it just couldn't. It's just not going to happen. So it's sad because, I mean, when you watch this this documentary, at one point in time, these four guys ruled the world of rock and roll. And it would have been cool to hear their side of the story. Just, I mean, even if they didn't really add anything, you know, like any revelations, it would have been cool just to hear their take on the same events that were going on. Yeah. And to see them now, like we see Gene yeah. and Paul now, as they are. Yes, Peter's retired for the most part. Ace is still touring. He's going to open for Alice Cooper this fall. Hopefully you get to see him. And, you know, the other thing I took out of it was there was not that much to do about the music, to be honest with you. And as Kiss Hardcore fans, they talk about, you know, the demo and what became most of the first album. They talk a, a little bit about, you know, how they made rock and roll all night. And they talk a little bit about once they got Bob Ezrin in and how they crafted Detroit Rock City and Beth and, and some of the songs off Destroyer. Mm -hmm. But then after that, they kind of gloss over the music because, yes, Destroyer was great. And then they did rock and roll over and they did love Gun, which propelled them to be able to do Alive 2, which we love. That stuff just doesn't even brought up. It's more like, okay, now this is when the tensions in the band start, right? And, and then even when they go to Creatures of the Night or Lick It Up, which are harder rock now, they're, they're changing back to getting to their core. They don't focus on the songs that much. They kind of talk about the turmoil around the making of the albums who was really participating and who wasn't versus this was the quality of the music. Yes, you're right. Uh, they did talk a lot about Destroyer and Bob Ezrin pretty much being the architect of that. And, it, you know, him saying, Beth is going to work. We're going to put this out and, and kind of how that evolved. But yeah, after that, they touched on the solo records, but only again to the turmoil. And then they skipped right to I Was Made For Loving You. Again, mm -hmm. not really so much about the song, but how that kind of caused even bigger riffs. And then, yeah, you're right. So again, but if you go into, well, here's how we wrote, you know, all of these, I have, here's how we put together rock and roll over. I think most people would have been like, okay, I can't, you know, I'm not a huge fan of the band. I just kind of want to see the story. You kind of had to keep it moving along. Right. You're right. And when you do an A and E biography, it's kind of casting a wide net. Right. It's going to get the hardcore Kiss fans who are going to gobble up anything with the KISS on it. It's going to get the fans who were, you know what, I liked them in the 70s and then I tuned out. It's going Correct. to get, you know, the, the folks who were like, yeah, I guess I could learn a little bit about them, you know, who never really knew about them. So I understand they're not going to go in-depth on the music or necessarily on every big track. And the fact of the matter is Kiss didn't have that many hit singles 
They have a lot Correct. of gold and platinum albums, and they're an incredible live show. And that's kind of what they showed in the first, certainly the first hour to hour and a half was, once we got our look and we came up with the sound, then we started to become this live act that has changed the world and continues to this day. But so, so those were kind of my biggest takeaways in that it was well-produced, it was good. I think it humanized Gene a little bit. I don't think Paul came off as good as he could have, maybe. And it's a shame that Peter and Chris chose not to participate. Well, the one thing that the one of the big takeaways that I had from that part was that in in the extreme close up video, it seemed to me and it's been a while since I've seen it, but it's really seemed like Paul and Gene said they came off like, well, you know, I mean, these guys just couldn't hold themselves together. You know, Paul and uh, Gene and I, we were the kind of the rocks of the band and uh, well, they just couldn't handle themselves. In this one, Gene, he doesn't really, he points out the fact that while Peter and Ace got into drugs and drinking, he became, his thing was he just became this absolute ass of a person, yeah. just self-absorbed, mm-hmm. self-centered, just, and he said, one of the things that was interesting, he said that was harder to hide, but he was really becoming this, this just jerk. And then Paul kind of alluded to the fact that he never wanted to be off stage. He got addicted to the fame. He didn't want to go home and be Stanley Eisen. He wanted to be Paul Stanley, the star child, even though he he was still this little kid, this not little kid, but he was still this kind of insecure dude yeah. off stage. And so it, it, you're right. I think Paul could have come off better, but at least they kind of admitted that this was it, once it got rolling, once it got really out of control, everybody kind of had their the demons kind of came out in everyone. Yeah, that, that's right. And it was interesting the way they kind of put it to the marketing. Once they started to get all those products, once they started to license so many different things and they started to make all this money that that's when the wheels started to come off so you know first 30 minutes is kind of about gene and paul growing up moving to this country all that kind of thing paul growing up without a right ear which i didn't even know until he wrote his book a few years back yeah you know so it's like yeah you're growing up in new york city without an ear kids are going to give you an earful of it plus you're a jewish kid in an irish catholic neighborhood where some of those Irish Catholic kids, their dad and uncles didn't come back from the war, but they got you with this no ear kid. You know, he would have to take a lot of guff, you know, throughout his childhood. And it will make you sensitive and insecure. And it has played out his whole life. You can kind of tell that. Right. And then you had, on the flip side, you had Gene, who was this, uh, you know, guy from Israel who, like you said, didn't even speak English. I can't even imagine having to try and fit in. And he's this big kind of goofy looking dude mm-hmm. as a kid. Yeah, it, 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 w- it was interesting to see how that came together. Yeah, and at his size, never really played sports. It's like, yeah, right. he's going to be an outsider, right? For sure. And, but then it was cool to see them, you know, in, in Wicked Lester and with Bob Cornell and how they got together. And, and I thought it was cool to see them sitting, you know, on those couches next to each other, Jackson, kind of talking face to face. In exposed and extreme close-up, they're always, you know, set up, sitting next to each other, very scripted kind of thing. And this was more of them just kind of a little more casual. Hell, Paul had his shoes off. And that's something that trended on Twitter, like Paul's feet trended on Twitter because he was sitting there without shoes on. But the fact they're just kind of rapping about some stuff that was going on in their lives, I thought that was cool. And how they explained how they got studio time, how they, you know, yeah. uh, they would sing back up on albums, they get paid, and then somehow they had the gall to demand, all right, instead of money, give us studio time and get Eddie Kramer to produce our demo who worked with Jimi Hendrix and the Beatles and Led Zeppelin. I'm like, how do you even make that ask? 
But they got it, right? Right. And, well, and the whole thing, too, about how he used to hang around that's the bodega smoke shop mm-hmm. in New York City. And finally, somebody said, oh, yeah, the guy from Electric Lady was here. And he just wouldn't give up. He just kept calling on the calling on the calling on. And, yeah, it was just that drive to be famous. That's all they wanted. And then the other cool thing, too, was, like you said, seeing, seeing them evolve you know, they didn't really know what they, they knew they wanted to make music. They knew they wanted to be famous, but they kind of, you know, so they were trying to do the New York Dolls look. And that was disturbing to say the least to see them in drag. They, yeah. you know, it's just like, it, like Paul said, those dudes could, they could pull it off, but we couldn't. We just, we were like linebackers trying to do this, but they, but they were just trying to, they were trying anything they could to, to, uh, to find their way. And I thought it was interesting, too, about the Wicked Lester stuff. He's like, whatever was popular, you flute, put it on there. Yeah. This, put it on there. Like, they would just, they were just kind of, you know, just finding their way. There's a trumpet on a hit to, this week. I'm All sorry. right, let's try a trumpets on our yeah, thing. Yeah, exactly. Like, really? Exactly. Trumpets? You listen to the thing and say, well, this is terrible. This is just a mess. Nothing goes together. But that showed they wanted to make it whatever it takes they would do. And we'll see that throughout. Like, what do you think I was made for loving you was about? Well, Disco's popular, and they're on a disco label, so I can write a disco song. Huge hit, and I know it alienated a lot of fans back then, and it still alienates some now. I got to tell you, I love I Was Made For Loving You. <laughs> and the whole album, the whole Dynasty album, love it. Can, can listen yeah. to it just as much as I can, Destroyer. But uh, but no, but it was good to see also in those early stages how they found Bill Coin to become their manager, and he really helped them with their stage show, as did Sean Delaney, who I didn't realize was Bill Coin's boyfriend. Like that's how he got into the picture. And it was that was a, it, it, they didn't really go into it at all. They only said it one time that he was you know they said boyfriend. I'm like interesting. I wonder if that was part of the thing that drew them all together was that these guys were outsiders. In the 70s, being gay was not cool. I mean, it was something you had to kind of... You had to keep under wraps. So I just wonder if them all kind of being outsiders saying, we're getting together and we're going to take over the world together. I don't know. Yeah, but I mean, teaching them how to do, you know, their images. Philip Coyne's like, you know, don't go outside without makeup. You know, make sure you keep your face in. Sean Delaney filming them to show them what they look on stage look like on stage so that they can start to do those moves where they go back and forth, which they still do to this day. He helped them refine that stuff. Creating a drum riser that went up all of six feet. Well now it goes up like forty feet, you know, and they come out of the sky. But it was like Bill Coin and Sean Delaney who helped them with a lot of that stuff. And then Neil Bogart from Casablanca Records, you know, obviously helped them too and, and helped them kind of infuse sound, you know, Bill Coin Help Gene learn how to spit fire. So he can spit fire during Firehouse. You know, there's never been a Kiss show without it in 45 years, you know. So it was cool that they were sharing, you know, who was responsible for this. Because in those previous ones, you know, it was kind of like, we invented this. I invented this. We did all this. It's all from us. Yeah, I thought that was that was really interesting, especially the, the Destroyer stuff. Because they basically just said, Ezrin pretty much just told them what to do. And they they thought it was great. Yeah, I'd never heard that before. It was always like you said, yes, this was all our, our idea. We did everything. We came up with this. Man, you had help along the way. Right, right. But And so before we skip to, to the story part, yeah, I mean, they make the first three albums. They don't sell much, but they're killing it on tour. They get kicked off tours because who wants to follow Kiss? 
you know, and and Argent's manager is unplugging them so they can't do uh, right. can't do an encore. So then their road manager goes back and sticks him in a road box so they can't <laughs> unplug them this time. And then they get kicked off, you know. And then they don't have any money, so they got to get picked up someplace else. So eventually, Alive comes out, and yes, it's punched up. And and Paul has this saying like, you don't want to hear a mistake every time you listen to the record because mm-hmm. it's very famous that Alive is not that alive. And they even pump in the crowd sound is not necessarily alive. Or it's, it's, it's cold from different concerts that have the ebbs and flows. Not all the guitar parts, not all the song, not all the singing, not all the anything really is live. But it's a killer album. And then it launched them in the stratosphere because they're not selling much. They're selling 60,000, 50,000 copies. And all of a sudden it goes gold, platinum, double platinum. And this is a live album. Yeah, and, and Gene pointed out that there was only, they were the second album to ever go platinum behind the Eagles. And, and it, yeah, I don't know. Eric Singer said something about it. It was kind of cool to see him because he was a Kiss fan from mm-hmm. day one. And he was said, yeah, once you see them live, you're hooked. And that was the thing. They knew they needed – I know they said something about how they had to make an album on the cheap because they were hemorrhaging money. So let's just do a live album because it's cheap. But then – Ezrin was the one who said, I know it wasn't Bob Ezrin, it was Eddie Kramer. Mm-hmm. He said, we're going to make this thing, we're going to make this thing like you're there. Mm-hmm. And because they overdubbed it, I mean, yeah, you're right. Did they fake some stuff? Sure. But it, like Paul said, you know, you do the explosions. If you really record them, the mics are going to collapse. Right. They can't handle that sound. So let's let's do it in a way where it's kind of live but not really but it's like this perfect replica of being there live yeah and bruce kulik played on there who we lost last year oh you know bob kulik that was that was one thing real quick that that was kind of annoying that they just said session player it's like really you can't mention bob kulik who was bruce kulik's brother i mean who just passed away you can't give him a little something but uh but oh well but then yeah yeah it's time to go in to do destroyer and Ezrin is running it like train schedule, uh, and it, apparently he had a whistle around his neck that he blew. Yes, um, to tell him to you know get back in line, let's start over. And Gene saying he basically told Ace how what solo to play on Detroit Rock City, and then Paul, you come in with the harmony, and Ace didn't like that. And this is where they say the first cracks are happening, right? Because before then, there's right. four guys, they're sharing rooms on the road, they don't have any money, they're just going out to try to give the best possible show. They're all hungry, everybody's got nothing. Then this is where all of a sudden it starts to be a little bit of a job. It's like, yeah, you come in the studio and it's not that fun. You're not just hanging out and playing what you want. Someone's telling you what to play, when to play, how to play. And all of a sudden it's like, eh, this is not exactly what I got into this for. And then because the touring schedule was nuts and they continue to put out those records, Rock and Roll Over and Love Gun, along with Destroyer, they all came out within like 18 months or something crazy like that. The guys are starting to burn out. Right. And the one thing they pointed out in the in the making of Destroyer was that at that point in time, cocaine was everywhere. And Bob was a big fan of cocaine and apparently could outparty Peter Chris at that point in time. And it's just, yeah, I, it's you kind of have to keep going and keep going and keep going and keep going. So what's going to help you out? Your friend cocaine. Yeah, a little Colombian and, marching powder. Yeah. And, and, and to your point... Ace, I think, was always kind of a guy who was just kind of fly by the seat of his pants. Like, mm-hmm. you know, oh, this sounds good. I'll play this. Yeah. And said, no, do it again. No, do it again. Play it like this. Nah. 
That's that wasn't going to fly with him. So at the height of their power, call it seventy-seven or so, when they're you know, Bill Coins like they make one hundred seventeen million dollars a year, like in, in everything they yeah, license oh and all. Like, yes, which is like half a billion dollars or something crazy like that in today's money. That's so much money. But obviously, then that changes you. Then you don't have to share hotel rooms anymore. You don't have to share a bus or a plane if you don't really want to. Right. And the the friendship and the bond will start to crack because you're just not doing it anymore. And the, the scene that struck me in there was when Paul's like, we're trying to get him to lay you know, his guitar track down before he passes out. Uh, or Gene's like, look, you've missed the whole session where we've laid down the song. We need you to come in and play your solo. He's like, I can't, man. I got a card game. I'm like, I guarantee you Ace Friendly said that. I guarantee you 100% Ace Friendly said that. And that's part of why we love Ace, because he's such a flake and would do something like that. But if we were in his band, that would piss us off to no end. Well, and the, the one thing that they pointed out was that they were mad at Ace for being who they wanted him to be. He was a rock star. and and But to your point, yes, that comes with flashy guitar work, improvisational stuff, but also the other not to be dependable. Yeah, I feel, yeah, I don't want to do that. I'm going to go play cards or I'm going to show up drunk or whatever. Right. Yeah, you have to take both of those things. And yes, if he was in the band with us, we would strangle him because this has to get done. And I don't want to hear that either you're not showing up or you are showing up but you can't play right. because you're wasted. And, and that's the bigger story from 76 to 79 versus there were great songs on Rock and Roll Over or, you know, yeah. Love Gun took it to the next, you know, or Alive 2 came out and it was another huge success. And then what was interesting to me also is like, so then you get through 77 and 78 is this real pivotal time where Ace is ready to leave, do his own solo album. Gene's like, no, nope, we'll all do solo albums. We'll all do great. And everyone thought Ace, Ace's record would suck, right? He's like, Ace can't keep it together. Ace can't mm. write songs. He's only written, you know, a handful in the seven years he's been in Kiss or whatever. He's not going to be able to write a whole album. But he got Eddie Kramer to produce it. And Eddie found him New York Groove. Uh, and, you know, Whip It Out and some of those songs would have been great Kiss songs. They would have been great on a Kiss album. And it did sell the best of the four. But you put those four out, kind of expecting the fans to buy them all. You put out Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park, which Paul called an incredible piece of celluloid or something like that on there. Look, it... In retrospect, given it was like an ABC movie of the week kind of thing, it's not that bad. It's a little campy. And if you see the one in Kissology, which is different from the VHS that we had growing up that we watched, it, 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 it makes a little more sense. The music is a little bit better. But, but I get it. They wouldn't show up to overdub their voices. They wouldn't show up to loop. And sometimes... They would just leave in the middle of shooting scenes, which were often in the middle of the night because they had to do it when the park was closed and they had to do it at nighttime. So they're like, I got other stuff to do. And so they had stunt doubles who then also had to be stand-ins, right? And you can see the guy, Ace is standing with black. He's an African-American. He's a black guy. And, you know, it's fine in a fight scene where you can't see him, but then you right. do a close-up because Ace isn't there. It's like, man, that ain't Ace, you know? Correct. <laughs> and, and they said, too, I think Paul said that, you know, they showed up. No one had read the script. Mm. It didn't really sound like they were all that excited to do it. I think the deal on that was that they, I, I think they had to retool it because it turned out they couldn't act. 
I know one of the things they didn't say it in this one, but I've heard it before that, you know, Ace does a lot of the act right. in the movie because he was, he just wasn't really even talking to them now. And he just kind of make noises like, eh, you know, eh, right. eh. so, and, and I think he was mad that that's what his part was, but it was like, dude, you're, this is how you're communicating with us now. So yeah, I think, yeah, I, I would imagine that making that movie, they didn't really say it too much, but it that was just that you could, you could have a documentary on that being just a total disaster. Absolutely. You know, and it's not, they didn't bring it up, but Peter's voice is not in the movie because he wouldn't show up to loop his voice. So when it wasn't good enough, they had to get somebody in there. And it was a voice that I've heard on like G.I. Joe cartoons, like a guy who Correct. does voices for like Hanna-Barbera or whomever. Professionally, they had to get him in there to do it. So, so that's, and, and that's a little weird too, because that kind of takes you out of it because everybody else is horrible. And then Peter is like, wow, he sounds fantastic. Yeah. He delivers his lines, no problem. That's not him at all. So in 78, you give him the four solo albums, which is like, ah, am I really supposed to buy four albums? And do I really like everybody's voice? voice and are you know any of these any good plus they give you kiss meets the phantom you know they do some touring and they're giving you all this merchandise so when 79 comes around they do the dynasty album yes it has i was made for love and you the big disco hit which maybe brought some more people to kiss but i think it alienated a lot of people too mm-hmm. and they were finding it hard to tour in america dynasty tour did okay Unmasked did not do as well. And obviously that's when they kind of took the vote, quote unquote, to kick out Peter. And Ace was kind of like in the film, he said, well, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. So he, he, but Gene's like, Pete, he voted him out, you know, but it also may have been Gene, we'll bring in a new guy for 5%. So you're going to go, Ace, you're going to go from 25% to 32%. If Peter leaves, like, yeah, I'll take my 32%. Um, you know, or something like that. I can just see that happening. They didn't mention that, but that's just something I'm guessing. But, you know, so Peter and Ace aren't communicating with Gene. You can see the scene from the Dynasty Tour where Gene is leading Peter up on stage, dragging him by his hand. We've seen that before. So obviously these guys were not leaving it at the bottom of the stairs. They're like, well, I can continue to, to drink and snort and do whatever as I walk on stage. And that's when it becomes a problem. Right. And then they did mention part of that. There was some song where he was off tempo or something. And so, you know, uh, Paul said, hey, pick it up. So then he goes nuts and goes super fast on it. It's just... Yeah, and then they said you couldn't get in front of the drum riser because that was his deal, and he mm-hmm. throws sticks at you. And yeah, it was just I can imagine just you go on stage like, what's going to happen tonight? Yeah. Can we just make it through this thing? See, Ace is a wild card, but he he's kind of a benign, idiotic wild card, you know. Peter seems like he's got a bit of a mean streak, a little evilness to him. And he's one of those guys who wants respect, but he doesn't earn it all the time. He kind of demands it, doesn't command it. Uh, I I feel like that's something that kind of popped up, but it was his voice saying, you know, I'm looking at 78, like it's cute that, you know, okay, there's a doll out of us, or it's cute that, you know, you can buy our face paint and, and, and dress up like us. But then all of a sudden there's more cute stuff. There's more products. There's all this stuff. And even Eric Singer's like, so in 75, 76, I love going to Kiss concerts. It's who I am. It defines me. But you get to 79, 80, and there's little kids there in the makeup. people. And there's, oh yeah, grandparents are there. And it was no longer cool to go to a Kiss show. And like, I I buy that. Now, come full circle, I will admit, I took a four-year-old to a Kiss concert uh, a couple of years ago. Because I wanted her to see it. I wanted her to experience it. But would I have done it in 79? Probably not. 
Yeah, and I think that's the that was the real the, when the worm turned when guys like Eric Singer said, "Yeah, I'm not doing this anymore. This is this is not for me." Yeah, I think they had then it became just this big commercial enterprise, and maybe they didn't they didn't care who was there as long as somebody shows up and buys the ticket. Mm-hmm. I don't care. I just I'm just here to make money. So then get in the '80s. Chris is out. They replaced with Eric Carr, great drummer, but they admit now that coming up with a new character was the wrong thing to do. Nothing against the Fox character himself, and Eric was a great drummer and a great singer. When they showed him doing a Black Diamond, which is one of my favorite all-time Kiss songs, he does it great, you know, Um, and he's clobbering those drums. He's, He's awesome. He doesn't quite have that swing thing that Peter has. He's more straight ahead rock, but he's he's really, really good. But at this point, they're not really touring America anymore. They can tour some other places, but they're not selling out in America. They had to cancel shows. They make The Elder, which is a concept album. Like it was supposed to be the Who's Tommy, and Tommy it ain't, man. It's 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 not that good. I guess it was a concept that was maybe gonna be a movie. They brought Bob Ezrin back, like, okay, we're going to make this around Gene's idea of, uh, you know, the elder that's been there the whole time. And for 1981 and for Kiss, it was just a misstep. Yeah, and and I kind of, I had mixed emotions on that because it's kind of cool to see somebody say, hey, we're going to do something new. I have this great idea. It doesn't sound like anything we've done before, but, you know, hey, come along with me. Mm -hmm. But I think it was just kind of a, like you said, a misstep. It it didn't really land. It was weird. It wasn't a Kiss record. You know, you had had Gene and Paul with shorter hair. Mm -hmm. And and so it was just, what are we doing here? It's Kiss, but it's not Kiss. Right. We got a different guy. We are, we've, Brought the costumes back down, and they kind of, from the dynasty days, they had to come back down and scale. The costumes right. were getting out of control, so they modernized it a bit. But yeah, the shorter hair kind of threw them off. They're doing songs like Shandy videos, and they're doing World Without Heroes. And I think Shandy video was the last day Peter Chris was ever in the band, uh, which is interesting when you consider Eric Carr's last day, which we will later. But uh, but yeah, they, they would do videos, but they couldn't really tour America anymore. Once they did Creatures of the Night, and it's interesting that here Ace say that if they did Creatures before The Elder, that maybe he wouldn't have left the band. Yeah. Because it sounds like at the end of the day, he was so unhappy, he needed to leave the band or he would have died. He would have drank himself to death or he would have crashed his car, which he did anyway. But, you know, it's interesting to hear that because Creatures was more of a return to form. He played well on The Elder. He played well on Creatures. And he got more writing credits on Dynasty on Mass because he did have a successful solo record. And Shock Me was kind of a hit off of Alive 2. So he was getting more participation if he wanted it, but he didn't always do it, I guess. They still needed people like Vinnie Vincent to come in and play on Creatures of the Night. And so he left before the tour. And I think once again, I don't know, did he did he make the video and then not do the tour? Or did he leave? I think that's what happened. He just decided he yeah. wasn't going to do the tour. He was in a videos promoting it, but then he didn't do the tour. And that's when they brought Onk Boy in. And that was kind of a weird thing, too, because it, it really kind of seemed like in this iteration of the story they really kind of glossed over Benny Vincent. They were like, eh, he was a guy, he was hanging around, we put him in the band. Anyway, moving on. I'm like, okay, I mean, Lick It Up was a pretty big record for you guys. And, and he wrote I guess, some of the songs on there. He was not just correct. a guitar player, right? You know, And, and he correct. wrote with them later. He, he continued to kind of be in their orbit for a while. Right, and, and I know they've had problems with him in the past. He was not included in this. 
I saw the parts of the interview with uh, Eddie Trunk. I don't know what's going on with him now. It would have been kind. Of, it would have been interesting to hear him. You know, kind of his take on that. But I think that they, yeah, they were just like, we're not even getting involved with this guy right now. No, you know, and as, as important as like the MTV unmasking was and all that kind of stuff, and then the new videos with them without the makeup. It was just that one album. EPA played some on Creatures. They're on the big tour. He was on the South American tour where they played to 200,000 people. Yeah. But he was also, you know, doing the tours where, uh, you know, they had to cancel some shows or they only played to a half-packed house. And (laughs) on the Lick It Up tour, because they promoted it in Portugal and Spain with the makeup, like, here comes Kiss and the makeup's out there. And then they get on stage and there's no makeup. People are like, what is this? You know, so it's like a very spinal tap kind of lifestyle for them suddenly, right? Yeah, and, and the whole, uh, yeah, they, they took the makeup off. They took that big step. I think they needed it at that time. I think the, the makeup was, uh, it had run its course at that point in time. I did like how Paul was saying it was a misstep to not, to, to bring in new characters because people were like, we, what's going on here? We don't know this. But yeah, it, that was an interesting, interesting time in the band because they were definitely shifting to a new dynamic of how they were going to write songs and, and portray themselves. But don't you think they had to make new characters? I mean, it's one thing to do now, have Eric and Tommy dressed up in the original makeup. But to do it back then, I think would have been so wrong. I mean, as much as a misstep as it was, I don't feel like they had any other choice. You got a new member. We're not going to put him in the same old makeup. Yeah, correct. You know I what think, I mean? I think at that point in time, if they were going to continue the makeup, that was the way to go because, yeah, people would have flipped out. Wait a minute. We all know it's it's not like it's not like you didn't know who the person was. I get it that they had makeup on, but you knew the cat man was mm-hmm. Peter, Peter Chris. Yeah. And it comes to some other guy. No, that, that would not have flown. So, you know, and they kind of gloss over the 80s, which is kind of a good thing because, you know, they... They go from, all right, Ace is in, now Ace is out. Now Vinny's in, now Vinny's out. Now Mark St. John's in, now Mark St. John's out. Then they get Bruce Kulik, and I think Bruce comes off very well in this documentary. To me, he was always the odd man out, you know, which, which is kind of too bad, because he was the longest tenured member of KISS. His time from 1984 to 1996 was longer than Ace Ace's originally in the band, at least from the time of recording started. And and I guess Tommy has maybe become the longest tenured member at this point as far as lead guitarists go. But, you know, he took over after they had some revolving doors there for a while, you know, three different guys in just a few years. And he's a great musician. He can sing pretty well. He's a professional. He shows up, took them into the 80s, get them out of that glammy stuff, back to the, the black leather of revenge take him to MTV Unplugged, and then they get back together with the original band, and he's kind of the odd man out. He just has to go split. Um, but he, 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 his insights were good, and the way he talked about being the odd man out, he, he was very gracious about the whole thing. Yes, and, and he, he was always kind of the workhorse. You know, never never complained. Like you said, showed up, very professional. And even in this in this deal now, he didn't come off as bitter. Like he came off as mm-hmm. like, you know, he I, I, kind of... You know, waxing poetic about his time in the band, and you really grateful that he got the. I mean, that's that made him who he is today. I mean, I think he's in Grand Funk Railroad now, and you right. know, has been a professional musician for years. But yeah, just kind of like that sad. 
you know, like looking back on it, like yeah, I, I think there's part of him that kind of wished that he was part of the reunion tour. Uh, but, they, you know, they didn't really explain why he wasn't that I remember. But, yeah, just a real solid dude. But the one thing that in the 80s that that I wanted to touch on real quick was they, they kind of went back to the Wicked Lester days of, you know, OK, what, what's 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 popular now? Uh, mm-hmm. Let's just do that. You know, instead, I think Tom Morello said in the 70s, they were out in front. They were leading the pack. And mm-hmm. in the 80s, they were kind of like everybody else. Right. And the thing that I that really keyed into was Gene Simmons saying when they took the makeup off, that was the right thing to do. But he didn't really fit in anymore. If like I was, I'm the demon when I come on stage and I got my moves and the tongue mm-hmm. and the blood. And now I'm just goofy Gene Simmons. Right. Paul Stanley can go toe to toe with Bon Jovi, John Bon Jovi, and the Pretty Boy Rockers. I'm not that guy. I'm a big goofy Jew from Israel who's like 6'2". I'm not that guy. I feel very self-conscious and that kind of made him because I always took it like he was like, eh, I'm just kind of sick of this. I'm going to do something else. But this, he kind of came off like I, I, I really don't know what to do. I'm kind of I'm kind of, I don't like this anymore. I, I don't I don't want to be that guy. I can't be that guy. Very right. self-conscious. Yeah, and so, and they're wearing this day glow fringe and, and trying to compete with the poisons and Bon Jovi's and Cinderella's right. and, and all that. Making some good music, yeah. Um, and some of it charted, you know, and Hot in the Shade did fine. And, you know, the Forever song was their only number one. Sure, that's great. Continue to tour, but it's just not quite the same. And so he's like, so it's not turning me on. So I go seek my fun elsewhere. You know, I can go chase girls. I can go make movies. They, they didn't show any of his footage from Runaway, where he was not a bad, bad guy um, with Tom Selleck. But, uh, you know, he, so, and he's producing movies. And maybe he's producing a band. Maybe he's going to manage a band. And, you know, so he's coming to kiss as like the last thing. You know, he comes in late from being up all night working on three other projects, not from drugs and alcohol, but because he's got other stuff that interests him more. And and that's where Paul's like, you know, to, to Gene maybe it was a joke, but it wasn't a joke to me because Paul has always taken it very seriously. And for the most part, especially the last... 20, 25 years, and maybe the last 30 years, you know, Paul has really run the band. Paul's the band. Gene's kind of the brand. His face and his attitude is kind of what sells Kiss. But as far as making it go, I think Paul Stanley deserves all the credit in the world. Correct. Yeah, I I think there would be no Kiss today without Paul Stanley, right? He was the one that, it was the glue that held it all together. But again, I, I it just seemed like at that point in time, the band was kind of on autopilot. They mm-hmm. weren't really like, okay, we'll make a, you know, we'll make, time to make a record, sure. Here it is. You know, yeah. wh- what do you want to do? Animal print this time, cool. Yeah. Day glow, fringy stuff. Can we get Desmond um, Child in to write some songs with us? Uh, you know, can yes, we get Vinny yeah, Ponce in to write some songs? You know, because I don't know how to write these hits, but if he's writing them, bring him in. I want to be on the charts, yeah. you know? So... That's what they kind of suffered through. Another thing that came up there is we kind of get our first introduction to Tommy Thayer in this. I got to tell you, as much as I want to dislike Tommy Thayer because he's taken Ace's spot on stage, Tommy came off of this incredibly, incredibly likable. Like, grateful for being in the band, always been a fan, doesn't take it for granted, and doesn't think too highly of himself, doesn't take himself too seriously. 
Yeah. And, and just, to, you know, what, what kind of the utility guy, whatever you need me to do, you want me to, you know, you want me to, to, to go over the songs with Ace and Peter? No problem. You want me to be the tour manager, you know, uh, do run the uh, Kiss conventions. I think he was the boots on the ground guy for that. So, yeah, I didn't know anything about that. I just figured he somehow he got into the band because they liked him or he, he had been I think he had been in a Kiss tribute band mm-hmm. as a so I mean, they knew he knew the stuff, but I never knew he worked for the company that that intently yeah and paul sometimes calls him tommy kiss fan because he grew up a big kiss fan and knows all this stuff that they forgotten or you know wasn't important to them but yeah yeah, that was interesting to me because there's kind of the famous story once they get back together they don't think ace is going to make the show like he's he's a plane ride or two plane rides away he'd had to have like some kind of surgery or he'd be the doctor whatever and they're like ace misses flights that's just kind of something that ace does and it's like, you know, this is the last chance for him to get here. And so they had Tommy, who was his guitar tech on the tour, like ready. Okay, put on the stuff. And, and they had one ready. And I bet they had a Peter Chris one ready too for Eric Singer, just in case these guys couldn't do it for one reason or another. The show must go on, you know. That happened, but then he showed up at the last second. He said, what's Tommy? What's my guitar tech doing in my gear? And I was like, well, it's because Ace... You're unreliable. You always have been. And what's shocking to me, and I guess it shouldn't be, but what's shocking to me is that after years, once they finally in 96 through 99, or however long it lasted, do the reunion, Ace and Peter <sighs> regress back into their old ways. They're like, okay, finally, I-, I got back into the big time. I'm making a lot of money. It's okay that I'm not making as much as Paul and Gene. I'm making a lot of money. It's all first class. You know, we're having fun again. No, Ace has got to become a bigger drug addict and drunk than he ever was before. Peter's got to be a jerk. He's got to complain about more stuff than ever before. He's got to whine about more things than ever before. And it's like, dude, don't you know you're replaceable? And there's, you know, a clip where Peter's like, you can't replace me. The fans will never stand for it. I'm like, don't be so sure, Peter. Because we just got our taste. We saw him, I saw him a few times on the reunion thing. I saw them all four of them. I saw one time that had everybody but Peter. Eric Singer was in, but Ace was back. I may have seen him one time without Ace, but with Peter. I'm not 100% sure on that. Because they don't go into the detail of when people were in and out. It was just basically that one day Ace got drunk, told Peter he was making more money than he was. It pissed Peter off and he split. Right. Basically. Right. And and there was the whole there was the whole thing about how they were gonna go to Australia and they said they told Peter, We'll pay you a million dollars. And he's like, No, I want exactly what you make. He came off as a guy who and we touched we talked on it before, touched on it before. He's a glass half empty dude. Mm-hmm. It's just whatever he has, he doesn't have enough. But the, to me, the whole thing with the reunion and Ace was, you know, let's go out and, and tour and we'll do 25 shows. And he was like, okay, cool. Well, now this is going so well, we're going to add some more shows and some more shows and some more shows. So I think it, part of it with Ace was that I can't, I didn't sign up for this. I can't take this anymore. This is going to kill me. Mm-hmm. And he, and that's why he had to leave. And I'm sure the money thing played into it also, but I think it was the fact that he, he, they were kind of making him the bad guy it was like, come on, everybody wants to see this. We need to do more shows. And he, he just said, this is not what I signed up for. This is too much. Yeah, Ace has never been a workaholic. He, he may be right. a few different kinds of caholics, but workaholic <laughs> is not one of them, you know. Because, <laughs> you know, I got a card game. I can't play on Destroyer. I got yeah, a card game. <laughs> the other thing, too, you got to remember is that for, for Paul and Gene, they had been doing these big tours. 
the whole time. Right. And Paul and uh, Ace and Peter had not. So, I mean, again, they, they, the whole thing about how they got back together, like, you guys know the songs? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We know the songs. No problem. You didn't know the songs. Not, not to play them on stage. Right. So I think it was, you know, can you do this tour? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No problem. I got this. And then you get into it. And they, and they touched on the same thing on that Duran Duran video with, uh, with Andy Taylor mm-hmm. about how he just didn't have it anymore. He didn't have the, the strength and the stamina to go hard every night. And, and you just, you, I, I imagine it feels horrible because you feel like you're letting them down, but you just say, I can't. I mean, once, cool. Three nights in a row, this is killing me. Yeah. And, and they cashed in big time. And they were, Huge shows. I mean, playing baseball and football stadiums and basketball arenas and amphitheaters that are filled to the back lawn. You know, huge shows. And it's not like we're going to do 25. No, they're doing like 125 shows. And the next year, they're going to do more and they're going to do more uh, because the money was out there, you know, and people were, it was in demand. And that's why to this day, you hear people say, are you going to bring Ace and Peter back? They probably shouldn't. Okay, because they can't really keep up. They can't play anymore. And could you do 40 dates with them? I seriously doubt that. There's a lot of speculation that at the end in New York, the final, final, final show, that Ace and Peter will make some kind of appearance. Maybe even Bruce Kulik. Who knows who else might come up. A lot of speculation about that. But they've had their chances. Second and third and fourth chances. And and we've seen it. And it's about putting on the best KISS concert ever, especially like this is the end and they're not going to be anymore. So let's do this as well as we can. That's why we do this as good as possible. You know, that's why in the opening, the first minute or two, like we've rehearsed for months, not because we're rusty, but because we have some pride in going out on top. We want to do this right. And when you see footage when they're rehearsing for the comeback in 96 and Ace is back there playing and all of a sudden Paul starts shaking his head, no, no, like that doesn't come now. That's on the next one. You and I have seen Ace perform. I know he's messed up the songs live when we've seen him play. I'm like, okay, doesn't that come later? Or isn't he skipping ahead to that part? I don't think he's on that, you know? So when he's like, Tommy would have to go in and show them how to play the stuff, work with Peter to get him up to speed work with Ace you know, and then show him the, the choreography of the, you know, the dance, not really dance moves, when they go back and forth and pop, 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 yeah. in Atlanta. I believe that that happened and obviously it did. It was magic for a while. A couple of years, it was great. But then it just sounds like the old stuff started to come back in there. Right. And, and it's, you know, and it's a problem. Now, Ace has gone on to do more in the last 15 years. He's made a bunch of records. He's gotten himself sober. Thank goodness. He's done some good tours. What's Peter Chris been up to since leaving Kiss? I mean, Com- complaining about Kiss. Pretty much. That's what he's been know? up to. Yeah, I know. I think I think he's going to be on the new John Five record uh, for a little bit. But I thought the, the one thing about Tommy that I thought was cool was when they were talking about that. He's like, "Yeah, I had to I had to go back and work with these guys and you know show them." But it was really cool to stand there with Ace and play guitar with them. Like that's kind of cool, yeah. uh, you know. And, or stand in front of the drums and you know show Peter kind of. And he didn't even say show i think he was just kind of like reintroduced them like he didn't he didn't come off as like being like a jerk Mm -hmm. more of a fan like you said tommy kiss fan but the other thing that i thought was really cool was they said we got to go big time on this we got to get doc mcgee and and they're like okay so we're gonna do some a couple of club shows and doc was like no we are doing (laughs) stadium tours stadium shows and that's it because the club show is going to send the wrong message Mm -hmm. and he was exactly right yeah well i'm gonna play a couple people no we're either going big or going home yeah seeing doc shed a tear that it's over oof 
I yeah. thought, I thought that was staged. It, it's yeah, just the way it, managers it, are, right? Or are you crying because are you crying because you're sad because the music's going away, or you're not going to make any money yeah, anymore? The, the paycheck's going away because like, <laughs> 15% of Kiss. That's a lot of money, man. Especially over the last yeah. 25 years. It, it, what's interesting to me is they touched on it a little bit, but I don't know that they thought it out. When they went ahead and did the reunion, they put everyone back in their makeup and they did it as long as they could. Mm-hmm. Now it's like, okay, we've got dates booked, but we don't have Ace or we don't have Peter. We still have to do the same show. We can't just have a guy out in jeans, you know, uh, playing guitar out there. He's got to have the spaceman look. He's got to have the choreography. He's got to, you know, shoot the fireworks out of the top of his guitar at the same time. So it, it, it didn't seem like it was calculated, like as soon as they're not ready, we'll just continue on without them. It was the fact that they had to do that to meet their obligations. And then they realized, wow, this is a lot easier. Yeah. The dealing with these nut bars, you know, guys who are sober, who come to work, who just are, their personalities gel better. They all seem like they get along pretty well in the dynamic of the way the band is now. And you know, Eric Singer's a pro. Tommy is a pro, man. He does it justice. He hits the notes exactly the way they're supposed to go on the album. He's, and he puts a little bit of his own flair in there, but he knows his role. And like I said, he came off great. Singer's always been great. So it was just interesting that they, it wasn't calculated, but it's kind of the way it worked out because there's some thought that, okay, once the originals are done, then they'll go back to being the makeupless kiss. And then maybe, you know, we'll get Bruce Kulick and Eric Singer back. Well, they got Eric Singer back because he can do Peter Chris pretty well. But they got Tommy. And I think that was probably the right. Yeah. And, and I like that. I like the fact that Eric Singer comes off as just this great dude. And the whole thing about how, you know, they were at the KISS convention and Peter Chris showed up. And then it was like with his kids or something. And then it was like, you know, man, let's play a let's play a song. And Eric was very he was very kind. And, you know, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah let's do it. And that ended that led to him losing his job and he was very sad. So it was cool to see him get to come back mm-hmm. and, and be part of the band again, because he just, he's just a solid dude that for a long time was kind of just bouncing around. Like he was a, he was the professional like studio guy. Right. Like he needed somebody for a record, but he never had a real solid gig until kiss. And right. so to see, get him to see him come back and get to do that again was pretty cool. Yeah. Toured with black Sabbath, but isn't Bill mm-hmm. Ward toured with the cult toured with Alice Cooper. He's not Alice Cooper, you know, but finally Correct. got a real gig that he earned. He earned his spot. Yeah. Um, you know, so, so good for him. That that's good. Yeah. I mean, look, Tommy Thayer and Eric Carr, uh, Eric Singer rather came up good. Eric Carr, I want to touch on this because they, they did show him in the hospital. They did talk about how his death was so horrible. But I don't know. It's it's They kind of wound up, you know, with him, you know, mooning him in the hospital to say goodbye. I'm like, you know, is that really the, the lasting image? And they kind of harped on the fact that he really wanted to be in the God Gave Rock and Roll to You video. Like, he's already sick. You know, he, he's dying. And he knows how Kiss works because he was there when they got rid of Peter. Uh, right. And he came in. It's like, if I don't play, I'm out of the band. And, and but Gene kind of said, like, he begged us to be in the video. I'm like, was he begging you or did he ask you, come on, let me do it? Begging makes it sound like he was groveling Gene, you know, where it's his gig until he, he physically can't do it. But he was in the video and he died very shortly thereafter. Yeah, and, and, and unfortunately for him... They didn't. They didn't go into a whole bunch of that, and I think you're right. I think it was kind of weird the begging part of that, and and I think he saw the writing on the wall, and it was just kind of sad because I mean, to me, you got to you got to tell this dude, listen, 
take as long as you want. It, you know, you want to take a year, two years, whatever. Your, your spot's ready for you. We'll never get rid of you. Son. But it, it didn't sound like that. I think he knew that they were going to move on without him. And so, yeah, that part was kind of sad. But overall, I thought Gene showed more humanness. Gene's always come off as, you know, Mr. Larger Than Life. I banged thousands of women. I've invented everything. I'm worth hundreds of millions of dollars. I'm, you know, the God's gift to everything. And, and he showed a little humility and, and that, you know, the fact that he was an egomaniac who's out of control, who, you know, all he cared about was money and chickses and power and, oh, I can, I can make movies. I can do, you know, yeah. it showed that he had a little bit of humility and had kind of learned some things and had come through the other side. Paul still obviously has some issues to me. I mean, that's, that's just kind of the way I, I, I thought Paul came off worse than Gene of the Four current members of the band, Paul, to me, came off the worst. Still had some great insight, still had some funny things to say. And obviously, it all kind of goes back to being an outsider, both culturally and physically. But I don't know, just like some things Paul still has a hang-up about that he might need to move on from. Well, I know that in like in the book that he put out, and mm-hmm. I've listened to part of the audio deal of it. Yeah, he it, it seems like he kind of focuses on the negative too. Like instead of saying it, it, like everything is you know Peter Chris is a drug addict, and then he you know he played too long on stage. It's just yeah, can't you be happy for what you got? I mean, you you got everything you ever wanted out of this deal. Zillion dollars, super famous, still can play to sold out crowds, and you're focusing on the negative stuff. So you're right. I think Gene came, he came off as much more humble, much more thankful than mm-hmm. he'd ever had before. So I thought that, would play, that, that was cool. But yeah, I think... I don't know. But I think Paul, like you said, he might still have that outsider, the kid that, that that had to fight for everything to start off with. He still has that mentality that he's hanging on to. And apparently he's always been in a feud with Eddie Trunk because, you know, Eddie is pretty close with Ace. Uh, and, and he gives Ace a voice, and I don't know that he necessarily takes sides, but I mean, Eddie's an enormous Kiss fan, he loves the band. Yeah, he has a personal relationship with Ace now, but he also knows Ace's faults. He knows who Ace is, and it's not like Ace Cult. The guys on Shout It Out Loudcast talk about Ace Cult, now the Ace fans always talk about he's the greatest or whatever. I'm a huge Ace fan, huge, but I also know that he's an idiot. Uh, he makes bad decisions, he does dumb shit. Uh, but when he's playing his guitar, he's really cool. He makes a really cool rock star. And yeah. that's why I love him. You know, and his makeup, I just like his makeup. I like his outfits. So that's that's part of it. And he gives Eddie Trunk a hard time. Like, you know, Eddie actually has done a lot of promotion for Kiss over the years, Paul. You would think, you know, you could be a little, I don't know, back off a little bit, right? But and I, mean, I guess he is, holds these yeah. grudges. Again, who's going to be the bigger person? I mean, you know, you, no one's ever going to take that away from you. Just say, you know what? Yeah, he doesn't like it's kind of the stuff that we do sometimes. Like, he doesn't like the fact that they switched out the guys in the makeup. Man, that's his opinion, whatever. But so, I mean, they've still got dates to do. Mm-hmm. How many times have you seen Kiss? Uh, I have seen them. I saw them twice. I saw them once on the Revenge Tour, and then I saw them in the Garden on the original Reunion Tour. Did you not see them in the arena with us? Uh, I don't remember. I hope not, because I don't remember that, and that would be bad if I didn't remember the show. Mike went, uh, had his Paul Stanley makeup on. Okay, no, I did not go to that show. I don't remember that. I saw them. I don't know how many times I've seen them. Again, my tickets are are, um, were, were packed away. Apparently they're okay, which is good, but I, I don't have my tickets. I know I saw them on Revenge with you. I know I saw them at least twice 
on the reunion tour once in Jacksonville and once in Orlando. Mm -hmm. I saw them later once I moved to Louisville, and I think it was still the whole band. If not, it was close. It was like everybody but Peter, I think. And I saw them, they did a co-headline tour with Aerosmith, uh -huh. which was cool, and I figured that would probably be my last time. And then, because I've spent the money on Kiss, right? I, I've got the videos, I've got the records, I've seen them five or six times with Makeup Without, original band replacements, all those. But then I have a child and I show her Kiss and Scooby-Doo, the rock and roll mystery, fun park, whatever that one was. It's really well made. She gets into the music because she loves Scooby and she loves Kiss. So when they said, this is it, this is the end of the road, and they came to my town in Louisville, I said, okay, I'll take her. I want her to have this experience. She didn't make it through the whole thing, but at four, she made it more than halfway, which is all I could have really asked for. As soon as Jean started spitting blood, she's like, I think I need to take a break. And her mother's like, you know what? We're out of here. I'm like, you know yeah. what? That's, that's fair enough. I take that back. I did see them on the, I don't know why I forgot about this, but I did see them on the end of the road in Jacksonville with my brother-in-law. And so that was I mean, the show was good, but the crowd was terrible. Yeah. The crowd was just, yeah, it, they were just like, they were sitting down. I'm like, what are you doing here? I'm standing up through this whole thing. If you can't see behind me, I'm sorry. Right. But yeah, it was, it, the show was great. Well, then of course we moved to London and turns out they're coming to London. So I'm like, all right, I'll take her this time. This time she didn't make it nearly as long. You know, it was like, we, we got there a little early and we sat through like nothing like 45 minutes of nothing uh, and then they finally got on there and I think she was just tired um, you know we'd taken the, the tube over there and we're, we're taking pictures outside and we're dancing early and I think it just it was just too much for her so I've probably seen Kiss for the last time if they play London or whatever town I'm in one more time and the wolf cub really wants to go and she promises me she's going to stay up through the whole show because it's hard when you're four or five now she's right. seven next year she'll be eight Maybe she could make it through the whole thing. I'll, I'll leave it open to maybe one more, but it's not really for me. It's for her. Yeah, I think I'm I'm done unless it's something super like you know we get to go together or something like that. Yeah, right. I think I'm done. <laughs> Jackson and I get so into talking about Kiss that it's really hard to shut us up. So this is, in fact, the end of part one of our take on Annie's history biography. We're going to come back next week with some more, going just a little bit more in depth on some of the stuff and some stuff that we didn't dive in here today. With the, the review of Iron Maiden's new song, Writing on the Wall, plus all the stuff that we just had to talk about, we're running a little long. That's okay. We're going to do a part two, which will be out on Thursday. Our shows come out on Thursday. Thursdays, and you can get them anywhere. Apple, Spotify, Amazon, Google Podcasts, anywhere that you get your podcasts. Check out all past episodes at www.uglyamericanwerewolf.libsyn.com and download and subscribe there. Plus, you need to tweet us. Let us know what did we get right, what did we get wrong. Did we miss the point? You have to tell us at ugly underscore werewolf or at actionjack72. So until next week when we're doing part two on Kistery, everyone, all rock and rollers around the world, be cool and stay safe. achieve the American dream, the big house, the happy family, 
the money? 911, Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would I shop? Would I shop? Would you kill? Yes. From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal, comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, The Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.